Guys, to season two, episode eighteen of the Bolt from the Blue podcast, we have here in the studio with us our two normal guests, and uh, we'll start off this time with uh, Ray from the YouTube channel City Fan TV. Ray, how are you doing on this evening in the UK and morning here in South Korea? How are you? I'm not too bad. I, I think I've got the uh, the rumblings of a cold coming along, or, a, or the flu, or something. Uh, I'm just hoping to get at least through uh, the next game on the Saturday. It's not too far away now uh, before this really grabs hold of me and lays me up in bed, which I, I fear it, it's going to do. But uh, apart from that, City win, so you can't complain. Well, don't worry, guys. Even if Ray is in bed, he'll still have his microphone and his Skype on for us to record the next one. Uh, they're coming thick and fast, aren't they, Colin? Well, they are. This is that time of the year, isn't it? When uh, you know, Carabao Cup and Champions League and midweek Premier League games and we're, we're busy lads. But I, I'm still struggling with that image of Ray in his bed with his nightshirt and his little kind of uh, Ebenezer Scrooge hat on and, uh, and his, in his hot water bottle. And his dark sunglasses, of course. The ever-present dark sunglasses, yeah. of course. That <laughs> just them on, guys. Adds a, them on. adds a flourish to the mental image, doesn't it, guys? Anyway... So let's start off with um, Colin. Let's uh, take a look at the lineup as we always do. So we had Aderson Walker, Rodri, Fernandinho again, Ben Mendy, uh, De Bruyne uh, for the first 67 minutes at least, Gundawan, Mares, Foden, Sterling, Aguero. Any surprises there, Colin? Yeah, when Foden, I suppose, was a little bit of a surprise, wasn't it? But but not not but not not a shock. Mares in wasn't a surprise because obviously um, Bernardo had played and he wanted to run out. Uh, uh, I thought Gabriel Jesus might get a second uh, back of the cherry and would save Aguero for Saturday, but um, no, I, I don't think there are any. I mean, uh, Stones and Otamendi were on the bench, but both have just come back from injury. So again, uh, Rodri and Fernandinho had done well enough um, at the weekend, so there was no particular reason to, to change that. 
So, no, no, no great surprises particularly there. Ray, um, Atalanta, as I mentioned before we uh, came on air, they're no um, whipping boys. They're no gank. Um, they're riding high in the uh, Serie A. And, uh, yeah, they give us a bit of a runaround sometimes, especially in that first half. What did you think of them? Uh, I quite like them. I like their endeavour, their application, their energy, uh, their commitment. Um, they never stopped trying to score goals. You know, we were in the third minute of uh, added on time at the end of the game, and they were still pressing, looking for a goal, and you know, still shooting from outside the box. Their players still wanted to score. And it was five. They were five-one down at the time. It was not going to make any difference, but they still wanted to put the ball in the back of the net, and it, they just kept. You know, it's, it felt like it's like a boxer sometimes. You've knocked them down a couple of times. You've you've hit them pretty hard and, and they keep getting up, coming back for more. And that was like uh, Atalanta. They kept coming back and, and, and kept rolling on forwards, trying to score that goal and obviously allowing us to hit them on the break and score goals ourselves. But they just kept on coming forward and kept getting hit again. And Ray, were you surprised at all with that lineup and uh, this persistence with uh, Rodri and Fernandinho in the in the centre at the back? I was surprised a little bit by that. I mean, the Ford and one, I, I, KDB were uh, the master. I think he would make all the difference when he's in the side. I feel so much more confident. Uh, you could put almost anybody next to him, and uh, we'd still be in a good position. So I thought Ford and would start. I was a little bit surprised uh, that Rodri. And uh, Fernandinho started, but once I'd seen the EDS lineup where Taylor Howard, Dallas, and Eric Garcia had played there, um, there really wasn't much scope for much else. I thought Stones might get a start, as not too many would stay on the bench. I thought Stones would would come in, but uh, pretty much everything else. Walker, I thought he's, he's fit; he's got a start. I was a little bit surprised that Mendy is playing two games on the bounce after coming back from a uh, um, you know, little bit of injury. There's nothing that made your, your eye, for me anyway, there's nothing that made, made my eyes pop out like they did at Crystal Palace. It was, you know, it, it felt more par for the cost from Pep. Colin Savage, that was a very eventful first half, wasn't it? And um, we went behind and, uh, and struck back twice uh, with uh, Aguero. But uh, yeah, they put the Frighteners on us a little bit. Uh, I think it was the, uh, the 28th minute. And um, this time there's... Um, no um, Otamendi to put the blame on. Um, I, you know, guys, this is a little bit... Uh, I, I know it might seem a little bit stupid, but I didn't even think that was a penalty. I thought it was outside the area, but um, certainly the ball flicked outside the area, but um, I, I didn't think that was a, a, a cast-iron penalty. But, of course, I think a close inspection on the replays proved uh, me wrong. How did you see that, Conan? Uh, well, funny. I was obviously I was at the game and I was sat as I often do in for Champions League midweek games um, with my family in the family stand, and uh, except not all the family had turned up, so I had six seats to myself basically. I thought initially I thought he played the ball, so I checked with some of the guys who were watching it on TV. He said no, definitely a penalty. But uh, at first I I thought he played the Fernandinho played the ball. He was just um, very unlucky, but. Uh, no, it, it it was a penalty. Having watched it back, it obviously was a penalty. I think the, ref, the referee got that decision right, which is um, not many times you could say that about him, particularly. Were you impressed, there, Ray, with uh, the way Atalanta started the game? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, you know, they they came to play football. They they weren't going to sit bit behind the ball. Uh, they mixed it up a little bit, uh, but they when they got the ball, they looked to attack uh, quickly. The, with a longer ball, but usually playing it around the back and then playing it out wide. 
Um, so I was quite impressed that they didn't, you know, put nine men behind the ball and, and hope for the best. Uh, I, I liked, to some degree, their press, the way they, they tried to press. They, when, when Edison had the ball, they would always always appear to give one outlet, and that outlet, they would leave either um, uh, Walker or Mendy unmarked. Everybody else around the, the back, uh, back line or the uh, midfield would be marked, um, but they'd leave one of them free. And they'd also keep one of their men free. Uh, and as soon as the ball went out to Mendy or Walker, then someone would come to press them. And all the other you know, outlets were already um, yeah. covered. All the, they had all the other bases covered already. So it wasn't, you know, we had to work hard to beat the press. Our, our passing had to be, I think, crisper uh, and more accurate than normal. And obviously, if we make a slight error, they're, they're ready to pound. Um, but we, we, we did beat their press uh, regularly. But it was, it was much, much more difficult. Uh, than normal, um, and I, I think that was quite for me anyway, a quite a clever tactic from them. Um, for me, I, when that when I was at the other end of the pitch, and so I was a long way away, um, and when Fernandinho made that tackle, I just thought I couldn't believe it. You know, uh, it, it it seemed it seemed a bit naive to make that tackle because you knew, you know, if you were late, you're going to give a penalty away. There's no two ways about it. Uh, and for me, I would rather the forward takes his chance from 20 yards, uh, taking the ball in the area and, and, and trying to beat Edison than having a free shot from 12 yards. I, I don't understand uh, the need to do to make that sort of uh, rash tackle. Well, I think he, he was just caught with the wrong body shape, wasn't he? He was caught flat-footed. Yeah. Uh, the player was running at him and his instinct was to stick a foot out. Now, you know, which is something Fernandinho would do uh, outside the area, you know, playing yeah. midfield, the so-called tactical foul. But he was just caught, say, wrong body shape, facing the wrong way, instinctive reaction. It was a daft thing to do and uh, just silly, really. Yeah, and it was a beautifully struck penalty by, by Malinowski. It gave uh, Ederson no chance uh, with it. Uh, luckily for us, uh, we didn't have to suffer too much because it was six minutes later and uh, Aguero got us uh, back on back on track, Ray. Yeah, he did. I mean, um, you know, I not wanted to appear negative, but he'd missed a, a glorious chance um, yeah. before At- Atlanta had scored, where Phil Ford and, uh, yeah, I think Phil Ford had a great game. Anybody, you know, if, if that had been someone else, and if that had been David Silva that had put in uh, Phil Ford's performance uh, last night, would have been probably raving about it. Um, he took a couple of men on... Um, in a tight space uh, around the byline. And he got to the byline, kept the ball in, and he pulled it back for Aguero. And in all honesty, he should have just he should have just been rifling that or passing that into the net. And he just leathered it way, way over the bar. It was, it was, it was sadly, it was poor. I think he also had a, another uh, chance where uh, where he, um, he had a shot. I think it was Aguero. The goalie tipped it around the post. Yeah, it was. And we were all on our feet because that was in. That ball was in. Um from the moment it left his foot. And that was, you know, that was a fabulous save from the keeper because we thought he had no chance. And we were almost cheering. We were out of our seats and uh, uh, applauding the goal. And it, it just, uh, he got his fingers to uh, save uh, full stretch and just to get your fingers tips to it and push it round. Uh, it was great from, from their keeper. But eventually, you know, Aguero, you can't keep the guy quiet. You give him two or three chances. He's, he's going to hurt you. He's going to punish you. And he kind of stole in, he was quite ghosted in um, to stab the ball past the keeper from across. Um, I think it's a bit half and half for me. Good, obviously, good play from Aguero, but 
you know, a little bit lax from from their defender just to let him run off him uh, and and pretty much just stab that ball home. That's right. And uh, four minutes later, Colin, we were two one up. Yeah. Uh, again, great work from Raheem Sterling, who yeah really had us a, a stellar night. Even in that first half, he was probably our biggest danger and uh, skipped into the box and. Uh, I thought he'd missed the chance to, to get a shot away, but um, the um, veteran uh, defender, I can't think of his name, um, just, just clipped his heels, really, literally just clipped his heels and, and, and took him to the ground and the referee. Yeah, and how many of us, how many for that sort of thing or even worse? But, you know, so, so again, the referee uh, made a good decision and uh, VAR obviously backed it up. And uh, it, it was a good penalty from McGuire. The goalkeeper nearly got to it. But uh, it was hard and low right into the corner. And, and um, you know, uh, most goalies aren't going to get anywhere near that. Uh, Ray, well, even at that early stage, did, did you have the suspicion that Sterling was on one? And uh, that there were that this was the shape of things to come from him because um, he was fizzling around there, and um, I, I wouldn't say that it was only a matter of time because, of course, we got to halftime two uh, one up, and uh, there were there were no more uh, strikes just before then. But he looked on it, didn't he? Oh, well, Sterling was pretty much our main. I thought our main threat. Um, you know, every time he got the ball. He he was buzzing, dangerous. He had their defenders, uh, you know, uh, back treading. Uh, it was, I think overall he had a great performance. Not for me a ten out of ten performance, but uh, almost there. He it was a great great show from Sterling, and you know we saw from the the BT footage at the end of the game. You know, with Mares and uh, Mendy, they were all you know laughing and joking and so happy. Uh, and it's good to see you know they're enjoying the football, and he's he's. He's at the top, you know. He's yeah. He's been playing some of his best football um, this season that I've ever seen him play. He's at the top of his game, and uh, like Pep says, you know, if, it's up to him how far he wants to go. Uh, and uh, obviously, you you know, you're hoping and expecting he's not at the uh, the peak of his powers. That's going to come in hopefully three or four years time. You know, as long as he stays at City. What three or four years is that going to be? The next big talking point, of course, was on around the 40th minute. Now, there are two separate issues here, of course. Rodri pulled up with a hamstring injury, and then there seemed to be some confusion about um, whether John Stones was ready to come on. And, of course, the gutter press made quite a a big scene about it and and, uh, talked about there being um, a -a tete-a-tete between uh, Stones and Guardiola. I mean, you just knew it was the hamstring, uh, didn't you, Colin? Because that's exactly how hamstring injuries happens. It's usually when someone's r- running full pelt. You don't notice it Im- immediately, but when the player slows down and the hand goes immediately just to the upper part of the back of the thigh there, you know what that is and you know what, what what's going to come as a result, don't you? Yeah, because I think he'd made a mistake, give the ball away, but he got he did get back to, to kind of cover his mistake. Um, and give away the corner. But I think in getting back, that's when he pulled his hamstring. Of course, he knew it was a hamstring because he pulled the, pulled in the back of his leg. <laughs> and the funny thing, what we were laughing about was he, he was off the pitch at that point, holding his leg, and then he wandered back onto the pitch and sat down. And uh, I think he was probably quite lucky not to get booked for that. The referee didn't seem to bother too much, but um, you know he managed to stagger onto the few yards onto the pitch and then plonk himself on the turf. And uh, if that had been a if that had been an Atalanta player. We'd have been going mad as a you know as a home crowd. So I think he was a bit lucky to get away with that. But of course, uh, hopefully we're hoping it's not too bad, and certainly um, he should be back in a couple of weeks. And 
of course, with Stones and Ottomani, of course, Stones and Ottomani are, you know, that's a bit of a risk, but we can push Fernandinho into midfield. Gundogan, I thought, had a brilliant game last night. He can obviously play that position quite well, so it's not, you know, everything's not lost, but you do. I, I've seen someone question the um, number of muscle injuries we do get, uh, because Liverpool never seem to get these. Is it something we're doing in trading? Is our preparation poor? And certainly there was a, the, the funny thing about the pep was going absolutely mental at the start. We couldn't see it from where we were, but I saw, saw it on the TV. It does annoy me the length of time it takes to get players on. Not necessarily the players' fault, but, you know, they get them up and they get changed and they get the shirts on and they put the boots on and they, you know, they put the leg warmers on, you know, whatever they do. Then they've got to have the briefing for the set pieces. And then why not do that kind of, you know, before you actually bring them on or, or, or do it before the game? Pep was going absolutely spare. I mean, we know Pep gets worked up anyway. The, the funny thing was watching Brian Kidd's face. If you go back and watch it on the TV, Brian Kidd is so embarrassed. He doesn't know where to look. You know, it's like when you see, um, you know, your mum and dad arguing or something and uh, or, or, or mother and daughter arguing. You're trying to stay out of it. and, and uh, But, you know, it's really you think, oh, my God, what's going on here? And I, I was just watching Brian Kidd's face when, when I watched it back on the TV. It was quite funny. It's so hard to tell, though, Ray, isn't it? Because, you know, uh, Guardiola is one of these guys who is very enthusiastic in his in, in his cheerleading before a player comes on the pitch, and you, I, I couldn't tell whether he was just giving him a, you know, a massive, uh, you know, let's do this kind of a pep talk, and uh, as the paper said that he was giving him a dressing down for not being ready. How did you see it? I, I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't see it. I'll be honest. Uh, from where where we were in, you know, on the pitch, didn't side of the of the dugout. Uh, I thought that was rather than being at Stones was probably a bit of frustration for Pep. You know, obviously he's uh, one of his main men uh, has got injured and. You know, I think it's just that frustration because, you know, we've lost Laporte from central defence, Mendy out with a little niggle. Otamendi, uh, I think, said today that he's been playing with injuries. Uh, he's been playing through injury against Wolves, uh, I think against Everton. He, had, he got a knock, a, a slight knock. And then to lose Rodri, you know, you're, it looked like your masterstroke of having Fernandinho and Rodri in the in, uh, centre-back. And then to lose Rodri as well, you know, that, Obviously, must uh, must have really frustrated and possibly angered Pep uh, to be in that situation. And I think most of, if anything, would have been the frustration of having lost other, uh, I think, anything untoward uh, towards John Stones. I just think it's uh, frustration, and you know, he, he, look, he, he, Pep is highly strung. He's uh, a little bit temperamental. He's uh, so sometimes he will. Maybe I think snap a little bit too quickly in the wrong direction, and for me, it, it, it's, it's nothing. I mean, the papers have to get their uh, you know clicks and hits and views one way or the other, so they try to make mountains out of molehills. I, I don't think there's anything there. Yeah, Colin, you touched on this briefly, but uh, what are the uh, ramifications of of that particular injury going forward? Do you think? Um, I, say, I don't think it's, uh, hopefully it's not too serious, hamstring two to four weeks. When's the next international break? About uh, four weeks. So he should be back by then or just after, I would have imagined. And uh, yeah, um, obviously, uh, you know, Roger had been settling in, but uh, it, it, it gives him a bit of time out the, out the firing, I guess. And um, you, we've got Stones in Otamendi there who are first choice are central defenders by trade. I mean, he's settled in really well this season, Rodri, but um, 
you know, we can manage without him, I think, for a couple of weeks or so. Yeah, Ray, and we got our first look at John Stones, complete with a black eye coming on on the uh, on on the 41st minute and uh, all eyes were upon him because you you know obviously the, there have been doubts about his levels of concentration and perhaps uh, people harking back uh, to costly mistakes that he has made uh, in the past but um, how did you think that he performed uh, and he came on just uh, 4 minutes before uh, half time but uh, but just going forward into the second half as well, let's uh, uh, straddle that a little bit and uh, give us yeah. your give us your opinions about uh, John Stones. Well, I mean, I, I'm I'm going on from what I saw last night. Um, you know, I, I didn't take my glasses, so it <laughs> wasn't it wasn't the best idea in the world. I thought he was all right. I mean, I don't think Atalanta, in all honesty, really really tested us up, tested our defence too often, a couple of opportunities, and and. Uh, usually out wide, but I think there's going to be more telling games in, in the next week or two that we've got coming up rather than the Atlanta one. So I think uh, he seemed generally to equip himself reasonably well. I think we do have a few boo boys on um, social media who take it upon themselves to single out two or three players um, and they'll have a go at them for a while. If, if it's not Nicholas Osamendi, it's John Stones or Ilke Gundogan or Mares seem to pick on players and it's once they've picked on them it's very hard to change their minds so I, there's a few negative comments towards Stones yesterday but for me you know the fact that apparently you know a few weeks ago I heard that City wanted to extend his contract to me that tells me all I need to know you know it's the same way the Boo Boys were out after David Silva well Pep want, wanted David Silva to extend his contract and, and Gundogan Pep desperately wanted him to stay so and the Boo Boys right after him. So and I've said many times, you know, for what Pep has achieved, not just at City, at Barcelona, and the, in the Bundesliga, and especially at City, you know, the guy's got a hundred points in a season. He's won all the domestic trophies in a season, whilst amassing the second highest points total ever. Won back to back league titles. Surely that's not by luck, and surely the guy deserves credit. I dare to criticise him uh, on some of the, his choices. I just don't understand it. I mean, I don't think even a manager as good as Pep is beyond criticism, but some of the criticism is is absurd. Uh, and, I, and as I've said many times, I'd rather go with what Pep says than some uh, Mr. Nobody on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty useful uh, tip for uh, all young blues who are um, just watching the press coverage, just to, just to screen it out, because it's pretty obvious. The world and his monkey and his dog wants Liverpool to win this title. And so every little positive thing that City do is downplayed. And of course, everything that Liverpool do is, is that the volume has turned up, including beating a fourth-rate team like Genk tonight, where, where, you know, basically everything else is pressed underneath that. That's the headline, as if that was some uh, giant conquering act. But anyway, guys, we go into halftime 2-1, and I guess the overriding um, emotion, at least for me, was uh, relief. There were no more substitutions until the 71st minute, I think, when it was... Uh, when um, Mendy uh, came on. But then, Colin, we had this uh, golden 11 moments. And, and for, uh, for people that don't know, I think this is the, uh, the fourth uh, fastest uh, hat-trick in Champions League history. Uh, Sterling struck on the 58th, the 64th, 
and the 69th minute. So, Colin, you've got your work cut out, and uh, don't worry, Ray will jump in here and help you out. But if we could just uh, go through these goals and uh, and how they built up and, and how they were executed. So the first one, actually, was interesting. In the first half, um, Cal Walker was playing quite narrow, or, or he was half asleep. I'm not quite sure which, or maybe a bit of both. Gerson's was getting a lot down that side. But it was noticeable in the second half, he was playing a lot tighter to, to Gerson's than we're getting. He was cutting out a lot of the space he had. He actually won the ball. He crowded out uh, Ilicic and the ball kind of found its way to, to uh, Ilkay Gundogan. And he played this absolutely superb, quick ball to Kevin De Bruyne, who was, on, who was kind of herring down the left touchline. Uh, Kevin kind of stopped, brought it inside, went in front of his marker. Uh, and squared it to Phil Foden. It looked like, for a moment, like Phil had completely uh, muffed the chance, but really, his shot was blocked off, and he had the presence of mind to just square it a few yards to Raheem Sterling, who had the goal at his mercy, and, and, and Sterling was very clever, actually, because um, the, the goal was quite close, but he put the ball, hit it hard, hit it high, top bins, as he would say, and that was 3-1. Absolutely, and uh, lovely little contribution from um, Phil Foden there, and six minutes later, it's Sterling on the on, on the scoring sheet again, Ray. Just before that, can I jump? Yeah, absolutely. There was one incident, I've got a note. The, uh, the ref seemed to start his campaign to help Atalanta out. He obviously felt sorry for them when he went 3-1 down. And there was that incident with Kevin De Bruyne and uh, one of the At- Atalanta players where they were they were scuffling for the ball and, and Kevin sort of caught him in the face a little bit. But it looked to be very 50-50. Uh, and actually, we got the free kick. Kevin, the referee obviously decided that Kevin De Bruyne had been fouled. Kevin, Kevin got booked, which I didn't quite understand. It really worked that one out myself exactly, but uh, we did get the free kick. Um, what about this this next goal there, Ray? It was going to do it again. It was a brilliant pass, yeah. The defender came herring back, so Sterling's on the edge of the box, comes into the box. The defender, obviously, he's eager. He's over-eager to try and block Sterling from having a shot. And Sterling, at the time, his body position wasn't to have a shot. So, I, I mean, I, I think the, 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 the defender in his eagerness oversold himself. As the defender went past Sterling to, to block off a shot, Sterling cut inside and the defender was basically, he was left for dead. He was uh, pretty much almost on the floor. And as he, he tried to dangle a leg to, to try and block a shot, the goalie was there. The goalie was at the near post. He, he basically, he just picked a side. The biggest space was on the, uh, at the far post. That's, he had up, you know, that's where the, the goal was. Sterling opened up his body. Um, and actually it was very clever because the way he opened up his body, you could actually hit that in either corner. And it, it looked like he was going to hit it into the far corner. And the goalkeeper anticipated that and he launched himself to save that. And Sterling very cleverly uh, closed his foot on the ball and he hits it high into the near uh, near post. Well, into the centre of the of the goal, but in the near post. The goalie was going the wrong way. The defender was left floundering on the floor. It was uh, a fabulously taken finish. Uh, a brace for Raheem Sterling. It was a bit similar to that uh, Bernardo goal at Old Trafford, wasn't it? Because he took the, you know, he, he got that little bit of space and he took the shot very early and put, uh, caught the keeper out, really. The keeper, I think, was expecting it to go the other way, the other side of him to the far post and still he just uh, bashed it in the near post. And I think it's a measure of his maturity, how well or how far he's come on, how well he took that. But again, you know, a praise for Gundogan, whose pass, you know, completely took out half the... Um, uh, Atalanta team and the beautiful thing about that pass was he sort of curled it the weight was brilliant 
but it sort of curved it into Sterling. So it kind of started off straight, and it seemed to kind of curl into Sterling's feet. It was an absolute masterpiece of a pass. It was indeed, and um, just a, a very, very quick a counter and a chance for Atalanta, but unfortunately, I think it was um, uh, Luis Muriel put a through ball in, but... Uh, Ilicic or Illich, I'm not exactly quite sure how to pronounce that, was caught offside. And uh, this was followed up um, by a substitution, of course. Uh, Otamendi came on for De Bruyne. Not exactly sure why that was. I mean, at the 67th minute, you don't normally expect someone to come on. De Bruyne, De Bruyne I think, got that yellow card. Yeah. And um, we were winning 4-1 at the time. There was no need yeah. to leave him on the pitch and risk uh, something else. Uh, I mean... I, I, I just got to go back to that disallowed goal from At- Atalanta. And actually, at the time, there was a little bit of um, commotion going on uh, with the Atalanta fans and the, some of the City fans. And I don't know exactly what was going on, but there were, you know, you could hear City fans' seats uh, bouncing up as they got up to see what was going on. And then they, they scored that offside goal that, that I think they, they hit the post and it came back out and they tapped it in. And obviously, their fans went mental. Then they find out it was uh, offside. And for me, that was probably the biggest cheer of the night uh, around me. Uh, is, is this, was the City fans goad, basically goading the Atlanta fans, making fun of them, obviously, because they were cheering that they'd scored and it was disallowed. You know, it wasn't really that long before we got that fifth goal, was it? Just before that, actually, there was a, a nice chance created by Phil Foden, squared to Aguero, and uh, he hit it basically straight at the goalkeeper. But... Um, um, within just a couple of seconds, then comes the uh, the fifth and final goal, and uh, this is um, an assist from Riyad Mahrez to Sterling, right-footed shot from very close range, uh, through into the bottom corner, and there was the hat trick, Colin. Yeah, I mean Aguero should have had a hat trick in the first half, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, you know, despite the fact that he got the score sheet twice, I don't think it was one of his better games. To be honest, he was he was fairly. Uh, ineffectual in the face of uh, Atalanta were virtually man-marked, marking very tightly yeah, throughout yeah, the game, yeah. which, which you don't see very often these days. And I think um, Gabriel Jesus might have been better off in that situation because, of course, he's much better with his back to goal than Aguero is. It, you know, It's one of the things he does have over Aguero. And he will come quite a bit deeper to pull his marker out position, which, which you, if, if someone's man-marking, that's exactly what you want to do. So, so I thought Aguero had a rather strange game. But obviously, because he missed that one the goalkeeper got his fingertips to, it was a great save. You know, he could have hit it a bit, perhaps he could have hit it a bit harder. Then there was the one he missed, and then that one he should have scored, because he was still on goal, and so he poked it straight at the keeper. But of course, the ball then came out to, uh, eventually to Mares, and uh, he played in a great ball for Sterling. And, and Sterling... Sterling kind of ran in and he almost knocked Aguero out the way to get to that ball. It was almost like, you've had your chance, fella. I'm going to go for this one. And it was actually very similar to Aguero's goal in the first half. You know, a ball floated over the top, the player getting in front of his marker and, and toe-poking it home. And so I thought the two goals were quite um, were quite similar in many ways. But yeah, so so Sterling took advantage uh, of, of Aguero's laxness in front of goal, really. But yeah, it was... The thing for me was... I'm going to say the quality of the of the pass from Riyad Mahrez yeah. and the movement from from Sterling. I mean, when Riyad Mahrez had the ball, Atalanta had two. They had six players. Well, five players on the on the edge of the penalty area and two just you know three or four yards in front of it. So there's seven players around the box, and we had basically Aguero uh, standing in an offside position and Sterling making a beeline uh, um, for for the penalty spot. And as soon as Mahrez put that ball in. 
Atlanta had three men around Sterling and Aguero and two more men on the edge of the box. They had, they had a lot of defenders. So the quality of the ball had to be top-notch. Yeah. And, and I think what got Sergio a little bit was because he stands in an offside position, he had to get himself back onside. So he was going the wrong way. Whereas Sterling was absolutely busting a gut. And you could see he'd made that, that movement. He'd made that movement at pace. And the, the uh, Atlanta defender, who had probably a yard on him, knew he was under pressure. He's trying to keep, keep up with him and falling down, I think. And I think it was just that movement that he had to get back onside and then try to quickly go forward to get the Mahrez ball. But Sterling was already you know, occupying that space. And he's got such speed and such fleetness of foot that uh, a defender who was a yard or two ahead of him on the edge of the box was suddenly a yard or two behind him by the time Sterling was 10 yards out. So in the space of 10 yards, Sterling had made three or four yards on the defender. And it was pretty much just take your foot out and, and steer that ball in. Uh, and it was a it was a great hat trick, and it was I think it capped off uh, caps off uh, a very very good performance from Raheem Sterling. Yeah, Colin Savage that made it five one. Uh, two minutes later, there was the substitution. Cancelo came on for Mendy. Another seventy minutes in uh, Ben Mendy's uh, legs. Now, how did you feel that he performed in this game, and how how have you assessed uh, his gradual reintegration into the team? since uh, he's come back? Well, I think he looks a bit rusty, I think, is the, is the first thing to say. I thought he had a good get, a, quite a good game last night. Still one or two areas of his game lacking that he needs to sharpen up. His crossing is still, his radar still way off. I think there might have been one half-decent cross. Uh, and the, the couple of times where he lost the ball, I think he lost the ball for the penalty they got for the, uh, originally. I'm not sure if it was him or... Yes, it would have been him. So, yeah, he's a little bit rusty. But I, I thought he had actually, defensively, he had quite a good game last night. He, t- he popped up a couple of times uh, in crucial positions in, in the area to uh, cut out crosses. He gets a, you know, he gets a tick, gold star, I think. Well, no, you know, not a man of the match performance, but you know, he's getting games. When you consider how long he's been out, and he's never really had a run of games. He really needs that run of games to get his sharpness back. And uh, he looked a lot better last night than, it, than he's looked before, to be honest. Three minutes after the goal, when um, when people were expecting number four. Now, this is uh, a right-footed shot by uh, Raheem uh, from outside the box. He was assisted by Phil Foden and just misses to the right. I mean, how how much were you expecting that to be number four? Well, I mean, from the way he'd played, the way he'd uh, finished... All his other chances, uh, you know, his other chances, he didn't have much to think about. He just had, you know, got there and, and did it, really. There wasn't a lot going on. That one, he, he had a few seconds or a couple of seconds to think about what he was going to do. And we've said it in the past, when Raheem doesn't think about what he's doing, he seems to be a better player. When he's got time, he makes mistakes. It was a great pass from Foden, like you said, uh, wonderful. And it was such a good pass, and Raheem's movement was so good that the defender just fell down. Um <laughs> I mean, I don't know if he just, you know, he could have got his uh, white flag out at that point, but he just, he chose to fall to the floor. Uh, so basically, so he didn't have to chase Raheem back. Uh, maybe that was his excuse. But Raheem, you know, he hair down on the keeper and he had so much time and he just put it wide, inexplicably. Um, I mean, that's something in his game that he, you know, you'd hope that he would eradicate. I mean, I think he could have gone... He was coming at so much pace, he could have easily gone around the goalkeeper and tapped it in. But you've got to be hitting the target. And that, that's the only you know slight negative I have from the game is we're still missing um, a whole host 
of guilt edge chances that I, I would much obviously much prefer us to be putting away uh, because there, there will be games where we'll only get one or two chances and we've got to stick them away. We've got to you know get to a higher level of uh, uh, higher level of uh, ruthlessness in front of goal. And then we enter this very interesting uh, period, Colin where uh, Phil Foden is booked on the 76th minute for uh, quite a bad tackle, actually. In the 80th minute, he fouls again, but the ref lets him away with it. And then uh, uh, three minutes later, second yellow card to Phil Foden, and he's off for a bad foul. A little bit soft, but I think, as you suggested earlier, that might have been as much to the down to the totting up thing as anything else. It was a, even the first one that they said was the worst one wasn't a particularly uh, bad foul. The second one was nigh on nothing, I thought. But uh, off he went for the first time in his career. That's a new one for him. Yeah, as I said earlier, um, I thought it was a bit unlucky. You know, a, perhaps a yellow card under the totting up procedure for for because there was the, the first yellow card, which was nothing. Um, there was a foul he, he got away with. Well, a foul he didn't get away with, but free kick was given. And then the third one. Uh, and I'm just looking back because um, in my notes, do, 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 there was it, ninth minute. Kai Gundogan got pulled back by a, an Atalanta player, and the referee get, gave a free kick, but no yellow card. And it's a sort of you know. So again, it's about consistency because it was certainly you know, at least the same, if not worse, than um, I think the second one that Foden did. So, so, so you've got one. I think there was another one. Give my notes. I can't find it. Another similar incident where something happened. A player got. Oh, yeah, the De Bruyne one where Kevin Kevin De Bruyne got booked, but the Atlanta player who was all over him had his hands round him didn't get booked. So you've got two incidents because uh, Foden had his hands round the player. I think for the first one, and he had a slight tug on his arm for the second, if, if there was a tug at all. And those two offences were committed by Atalanta players, different Atalanta players. They were penalised by the ref, but not carded. So, uh, and there's another one afterwards. Checking my notes. Yep, uh, uh, the 87th minute, uh, Castagna. Again, a similar type of grabbing a player, pulling him down. And again, foul given, no yellow card. So it really was quite infuriating that, that the referee wasn't applying the laws the same way to both teams. And Ray, it's 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 it, Foden really needs to take a few lessons from Fernandinho because I've counted at least half a dozen uh, fouls that he made uh, that just during during the second half at least, and he never gets booked for any of them. What is it? Is it is it is it about the the glint in the eye or the or the or or, or the little sexy smile? What what is it that what 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 is the skill that he has? I I, don't, I honestly don't know, but he's he's got this uncanny knack of uh, disrupting play, you know, call it the dark arts, call it what you will, in such a benign manner, such, uh, you know, um, uh, with a look of who me, it's nothing, ref, you know, and he generally gets away with it, much to the annoyance of opposition fans, especially of those of a red persuasion on Merseyside, which makes it even better. And, yeah, I mean, it's it's something that he's got to teach Rodri. It's something Rodri's got to learn quickly. I think Rod, Rodri uh, can get away with it if he's got the looks, to, you know, just a smile to the ref or whatever. Maybe that will help him. But Fernandinho's got it down to a T, and I, I have no doubt if Fernandinho had made those two fouls, he'd have been, you know, I don't even think he'd have got one yellow card out of those two fouls, let alone two. Looking at the aftermatch stats, you wouldn't have thought that it was a five-one uh, victory when you look at it because. Um... 
15 shots on target to, sorry, 15 shots to 13 of uh, Atalanta, 10 shots on target to 6, 7 corners to 6, the fouls 15 to 12, 55 possession to 55% to uh, 45% um, possession. But hey, we'll take it. It's a 5-1 win. And uh, that would be the, the group pretty much sewn up. Colin, what do you think? Yeah, I was trying to work this out last night. But I think if we beat Atalanta we're on 12, and they can only get uh, 10. Uh, Shakhtar have got to play Atalanta. So if Atalanta do get the 10, then Shakhtar could only get 10. Uh, am I right? Yeah. No, Shakhtar can, get, yeah, can only get 10. So I think if we if we beat Atalanta in the next game, I, th- I think we're through. I think we're through even if we get a draw. Even if we get a draw. Even if we get a draw. Yeah, yeah. actually four, four points, aren't they? The second and third t- place team. So we're, we're pretty much through. It, we, you know, for us not to get through uh, from here, it'll, it'll have to be a bottle job of uh, Liverpoolian proportions uh, for us to not qualify now. I think I, in my crystal ball, I can see um, run-outs for Misters Harwood, Bellis, Garcia, Angelino, and, and people like this, maybe for the last couple of games. No, I, no? I, I, I think you're, I think he's going to put out a really good, strong team for the next game. Put it, and you've got to remember that we've got 20-odd top-class professionals at the club they need to play. So I, I think Foden obviously will not play the next game, but I think he'll come back for the last two. But I think Pep's also wary that he's got to play everybody because you can't just leave somebody out for three or four games. Um, somebody of the stature of uh, David Silva or Ilke Gundogan or Gabi Jesus or Mares. And you know, we have now, when, when we've got everybody fit, uh, we've got um, Bernardo and Mares up front. We've got Gabby and Sergio uh, as an attacking midfielder. We've got David Silva, KDB, Foden, uh, Gundogan sometimes will play there. You know, we've got so many players for each position that I don't think he can turn that much to the kids. He's going to have to play, I can't call them the second stringers, but he's got to rotate between that group of 20, 23 or 24 first uh, team professionals before he can look at the, some of the kids I think the the Carabao is where you can play some more of the kids rather than the Champions League. Uh-huh. And uh, guys, in in other news, just to get to, just to get Ray uh, all riled up, I'm just reading as we speak. Um, Manchester City's target Milan Skriniar insists he's enjoying his football at Inter Milan, and just to to send uh, Ray off the deep end. Manchester City joined Barcelona and Real Madrid in the race for Napoli's £155 million rated midfielder Fabian Ruiz, who we haven't even heard of until now. They just won't stop, Ray, will they? Yeah, it's pathetic. It really is pathetic. Uh, and, you know, um, first thing I'll say about these guys is their age. They're both, uh, uh, the, uh, the first chap you mentioned is 24, the second one is 23. So they're over 21, which means as non-homegrown players, for us to get them, we'd have to dump a non-homegrown player. And I don't see us dumping a Merit Laporte uh, from the next squad. So, you know, it is pretty pathetic. They keep, they keep, I think that basically they rely on ignorant fans who don't know, you know, the rules, don't know what's likely to happen, are unaware of what uh, some of the higher, higher act talks about. And it is, it's just, it's boring, isn't it? Yeah. They might as well just be listening to the Transfer Window podcast. If you want to hear 
a lot of rubbish about who City are going to be signing. That's the place to go. But here, there's something a little bit more in this one, Colin. This um, 300 million, 21,000 capacity stadium that City are going to be building next to the Etihad for concerts and NBA games and UFC events. What have you heard about that? Well, I've heard what, ev- what everyone else has heard, really, that uh, the plan is to build a 20,000 capacity stadium on the on the site. And there is, if you go up Joe Mercer away from the North Car Park, you will see there are soil testing units in place on that site. It doesn't look big enough to me, but who knows? And of course, the, the arena in, in Manchester aren't really happy, but that's getting a bit shabby now. Of course, as, as we know, that the um, our owners have got form for transforming the area around the stadium. And the interesting thing is, someone asked me this question the other day, can we claim the revenue f- from it? Uh, well, yes, if we own it, if City or City uh, Football Group own it, and it's in the environs of the stadium, the main stadium, then yes, we can claim any revenue from it as, as our own revenue. So that's obviously a, a financial fair play. Uh, or, or inc- Well, we're not even, you know, we don't even need to try to pass financial fair play. We're, we're there already, but you know, it gives us uh, additional spending power. Questions have been asked, can Manchester support two arenas? Well, you know, Birmingham and London, and they tend to create their own their own little kind of ecosystem, don't they, these uh, places? So, you know, you can get twice as many bands playing. Now, now, the obvious problem with basing it next to the stadium is, if it ever coincides, you know, you, acts get booked you know, a year in advance or something, uh, whereas football matches can get moved at short notice. So you might book an act for a Sunday night uh, because you probably couldn't have two events on at the same time, even if they overlapped or, or, or were a, you know, a couple of hours apart. So if you had a bit of three o'clock game, and, and perhaps if you had a concert at seven o'clock, you might be able to uh, swing it. But um, Well, you know. United managed to get 70-odd thousand fans in, in their ground. And, uh, and all it would be would be 55,000 City fans and 20,000 yeah, concert goes. I so think you'd have to make a major, you'd have to make a major improvement to the transport infrastructure. Oh yeah, I, I don't, d- d- I don't disagree with that. I mean, I've read this. I mean, this story isn't something that came out today. It was in the the financial press at least two or three weeks ago, if I remember correctly. And the MEN were quoted to this uh, MEN Arena. Sorry, they were quoted as saying. Manchester can't sustain, you know, two similar size. Uh, well, they would say that, wouldn't they? Yeah, they would. I mean, they because you know, they wanted. Uh, I think at that stage, were the council still looking at it? And obviously, they they're looking after their own interests. On the other hand, I also read that is it a Man- is a Manchester. Uh, I can't remember the right the, the right phrase. It is number five in the world for for bands and live attractions or something uh, like this. So you know, MEN Arena basically are probably getting more than their fair share and they're making plenty of money out of uh, all these bands coming to Manchester and they've got nowhere else to really go. You want a 20,000 arena in Manchester, well, you've got to go to the MEN. So now this competition, obviously they don't like that competition. And as Colin said, the MEN arena is a little bit old and, and anything that City build now, um, you know, it's like one of those, what was it, Fields of Dreams or whatever, build it and they will come. And they will. And I think people... Um, my feeling is people would be more likely to come to somewhere shiny, new, and associated with Manchester City than going into uh, the city centre and have something associated with the MEN. Um, so I think the sparkly new bauble of Man City, of, of uh, Abu Dhabi, or whoever's building it, um, obviously it's not the state of Abu Dhabi, it'd be Manchester City or Sheikh Mansour or whatever. Uh, 
whatever investment vehicle. And I think they'll, they'll obviously prefer to come to complex around Manchester City. And for our younger listeners, when Ray referenced the movie Field of Dreams, in respect of that comment, build it and they will come. Younger listeners, of course, he was actually referring to Wayne's World too. But anyway, uh, Ray did cast aspersions on the clarity of my crystal ball, but we've got to give credit to Ray for one thing. One headline really tickles my fancy, and it just takes me right back almost a year ago to something Ray said, because this will amuse Ray. The big headline in the news today is that Real Madrid have informed Brahim Diaz that they want to sell him less than a year after signing from Manchester City. What do you think of that, Ray? You were proved right, weren't you? Well, it was kind of expected. He, you know, he, had, he unlike Phil Ford, I mean, I, I think I said last year, look, the difference is between Jadon Sancho, who wanted out of City for whatever reason, Brahim Diaz, who didn't want out of City, really. I mean, I, I think the season before they wanted it, the summer before they wanted him to go out on loan or something, and he, he, he's advised and, and he himself fought against it. But at Real Madrid, he was going from the front midfield and attacking talent that Real Madrid had at their disposal. And the difference between those two guys and Phil Foden is Phil Foden supports City. He has the links, the ties to City, and that keeps him here. Same as Harry Kane has the ties to Spurs, and he, he, you know, he could end up staying there while Spurs win nothing, and he, he scores tons of goals to help them win uh, no trophies, rather than go away somewhere and, and win something like Kyle Walker's done, for instance. Um, but Brahim Diaz, I mean, uh, uh, Madrid, and as soon as Zinazine Zidane came back, Brahim Diaz's days were numbered. He, he, I think he's just going to try and stick it out there for a while because who knows, uh, the way Real Madrid are going this season, maybe Zinazine, uh, Zinazine Zidane's days are numbered. But it, it's never, but I, I don't, I don't begrudge the guy going there. It's a dream to go for, for a Spanish kid, I think, to go to one of the big two. So for, it's a dream to go there. He would, quite possibly never have had another opportunity to go to Real Madrid in his, in his life. And so when they come a call in, I, I can't argue with him for going. My, my question, I'll throw it to Colin, is would you have him back at Manchester City? Uh, he's homegrown? He's homegrown, yes. I mean, the times I've seen him, I, I thought that he's not been quite good enough. He's not done enough for me. Foden is a better player. But he's homegrown, you know, give him another, he's learnt a lesson maybe, give him a season possibly. It depends what, whether we have a, the ability in his contract to, to have first refusal or we've got a buyback clause. He didn't look anything particularly special to me and certainly my eyebrows were well raised when he uh, wanted to move the, to Real Madrid. I, I didn't, didn't think he, he wasn't good enough for us, he, he wasn't good enough for them. I don't know, really. I'd give him another try, maybe. See, when I when I saw him play as a kid, I I, I vividly remember seeing him score one one goal in particular, and I, I put it out on uh, on social media. It must have been at least three years ago, four years ago, and I said this kid is going to be a star, and I honestly thought he would be. And I think one of the problems is when he's when he was selected for the first team, I think he tried too hard to do too much, and. Um, he, he, he possibly could take a leaf out of Riyad Mahrez's book because Riyad Mahrez, I think last season, he tried to do too much in terms of, you know, and sometimes you, you feel that if you're only going to get an, um, an occasional opportunity, you've really got to, to make it count. And I think Riyad, along with a little bit of um, crisis of, of confidence a little bit, a little bit of nerves last season, that held him back. Whereas this season, he, he's a far better player and I don't think he, he, he's not taking the risks I mean, a lot of fans 
plenty of fans complain that he passes the ball backwards, usually to KDB. Well, I think that's a system. That's a system City play. They play in the triangles. They play these passes. They're waiting for the right opportunity. It's different for Riyad and Raheem because Raheem has got that trickery. He's got that pace. He's got that, you know, that ability to uh, to to just zoom past defenders and beat them with pace alone. Riyad hasn't got that, so he has to work the triangles more with KDB. And when you work them right and you get the right pass back to KDB, he'll put it already several times this season. That combination has worked, and I think maybe Diaz has to lower his expectations into what he's going to do and fit better in a particular game and fit better into the system and. It's more of a surprise when you actually do take somebody on or when Riyad Mahrez goes past somebody on the outside, on his right-hand side. That's a surprise and you're more likely to catch them out. So I think, I mean, I really did like Brahim Diaz. I really did like him as a kid coming through. And it's one of those dreams that fans from any club have of kids making it through the youth team and, you know, getting into the first team like Phil Foden has. So because of his age, because of his, he's still got the ability, I'd take him back in a flash. I'm not sure Pep would. But I'd take him back in a flash, especially if we can get a, a discount on, on what we sold him to Real Madrid for. And if he can progress, he's only 20 years old. He's still got a lot of time on his side. And I think, still think um, he's he's got the potential and the talent to be a very, very good player. I'm just going to throw this across to Ray. Ray, one of the things that was trending on social media, I'm not exactly sure which outlet uh, uh, published this thing, but there's a Man City calendar on sale. And I think it's October or November. And they've got a big picture of Leroy Sané in there. And I think that drew the, res- it drew the response of one or two wags on... Um, on Twitter that subtitled this image with slightly optimistic, isn't it, guys? What would you say to that one? We don't, well, I don't know if it's optimistic or not. Bayern Munich haven't leaked some information to tell us whether it's optimistic or not. And that's basically where we seem to be getting our information about Leroy Sané these days, about his injury updates. It's all coming from Germany and not from the lad himself. It's coming from uh, other sources. I don't know, you know, which way that's going to pan out. I think City still have uh, high hopes that he will stay. Equally, Bayern Munich have high hopes that he'll be moving to them, whether in December, sorry, whether in January or the summer. Um, and I honestly, don't, I don't know which way this will fall. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those that, for me, it, if he wants to stay, you know, you'd want that commitment nice and just get it done. And I, and I said, as a saga uh, continued in the summer uh, before he got injured, and if he wants to stay, get it out there and stay. If he wants to leave, just go. You know, let's get it sorted one way or the other. Don't leave us in this limbo. You know, if that limbo is caused by Bayern Munich not paying the right sort of money, that's a different thing. But, you know, I think the fans, all right, we don't deserve anything. You could argue it's up to the lad to decide what he wants to do. But, you know, we'd just like him to come out and make a decision and just get on with his career in Manchester or in Bavaria. Come on, Leroy, do you really want to be coached by Pep Guardiola or Niko Kovac? I think it's a pretty, it's a, it's a, it's a no, it's a no-brainer. But um, anyway, guys, that's pretty much all that there is from, um, from what I can see. Well, let's just uh, finish off by uh, going over to Colin and uh, asking Colin to remind us of what's up next for Manchester City. Uh, well, we've got Villa Saturday lunchtime and then um, Southampton in the uh, Carabao Cup on Tuesday. Bankers, guys. Bankers. Well, maybe 
may maybe not. But guys, I'm off to um, I'm I'm off to listen to uh, Ray's uh, live feed, which he he did uh, before this podcast uh, began. Didn't get a chance to to listen to that, but um, I'd encourage everybody to to do that as well. Great uh, chat with some of the regulars there. Let's uh, wind it up here just for this particular pod. We'll be back with you after the next game. But before we do that, let's just um, bid adieu to our two regular uh, contributors. So first of all, thank you so much, Ray. Oh, it's always a pleasure. You know that, Mike. Uh, I really enjoy these uh, podcasts. They, they're fantastic uh, to contribute to. And uh, they're a great listener. Normally, listen, it's like watching a good film. You know, you sometimes you want to watch it twice to, to try and understand, you know, pick up on the bits you've missed the first time. So... It's always a good listen. And also our resident expert, Mr. Colin Savage. Colin, thank you so much for coming on. It's a pleasure. It's been it's the end of a um quite a long day for me. So um as much as I've enjoyed being on the podcast, uh, I'm looking forward to yeah, unplugging the mic, taking my headphones off and uh going to bed or something. Sitting and, down and we'll be back with you after the next game. So until then, we'll finish off in the normal way and say, Have one on us, guys. Have a nice one on us and up the blues. Hey, 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 hey.